Oh, God. Hey, hey, don't, don't mention the Jews around Pete Carroll. Hello welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at all the news from around the league, some signings, some moves, some changes. Then we're going to go and continue our preview of the season with the NFC South and the NFC West. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we got Harry, yeah. and we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Yeah, grand. Um, now, so you know in, in, in work, they have all these like snacks and fridges full of drink as well, and there was one that caught my eye and I brought along a bottle of it. Uh, it's called... Roar Electrolyte Infusions, and this is Odell Beckham Jr. flavor, oh, okay. which is nice. uh, strawberry melon. Uh, it's got a picture of OBJ looking really possibly angry, possibly constipated on the front of it. It's uh, some kind of nuclear purple color. It's also got a picture of him making that, uh, that catch he made against the, uh, the Cowboys, the one that made him famous, labeled The Catch, which I think Jerry Rice might have some... Probably, probably take issue with that. Issues with. Um, there was another flavor of this, which was blue raspberry flavor, and the drink was red. So, raspberry flavour, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I think we're going to do a taste test of this. It's, it's um, hydration infused with coconut water plus B vitamins. What flavour is this one now? So this, is, this is Odell Beckham Jr. strawberry melon flavour. So, I don't know if Odell Beckham Jr. is a flavour or not, but he's listed in the flavour section. Excellent. I look forward to so, it. Uh, some small droplets of Odell Beckham Jr. We'll, we'll have a taste of it and we'll tell you what you can try and do to approximate the taste. It smells interesting. That's oh, quite sickly sweet. Yeah, I think if you put some sugar in some water... And then put a little droplet of Odell Beckham Jr.'s sweat. Yeah, that's probably close to it. I'm not getting the melon or the strawberry, to be honest. I got a little bit of the melon, but it's not yeah, It's not great. Uh, <laughs> what about yourself, Fitz? How's <laughs> all down in Cork? Test. Work. Test. Work. Test. Work. How long until your planned release date? Uh, about a month and a half. I nearly there. Ah, well. So look, you'll get a break from it next week. You're coming up for the, uh, for the way too early draft, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's going to be great, crack. So uh, Harry, Harry hosts uh, one of our one of our football leagues that we're in. Uh, so this is the dangerously far too early draft that we have. What two months before yeah. the uh, start of the season? July draft, sixteen men, no mercy. It's great. It's going to be great, crack. Where you can you can always trust the rankings that you get from ESPN or wherever. It's uh, it's always interesting to see which ones haven't quite been updated to reflect someone like leg falling off or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I do enjoy having half my team injured before the season starts. It really adds to the thrill of the whole thing. Yeah, like already in a 16-man league where it's thin on the ground, it's a very, very difficult scenario when everyone starts getting injured before the first game is played. <laughs> it makes it stand out, though. That's what you want. So I suppose we'll fly into some of the news, lads. Uh, there's been a few big stories uh, since we were talking last. So we'll start with my, my, uh, my team, Kansas City Chiefs. They have signed Andy Reid to a five-year extension, and GM John Dorsey has decided to step down immediately. There was The initial offer was that they wanted to keep him on for a year, but they wouldn't renew his contract. He's decided to leave now instead of wait till that point. This, I think, came as a shock to pretty much everyone at the time. Dorsey considered a very good GM for picking talent, although questions being raised over his cap management and his contract management and some of his interactions. So what do we make of this, guys? Is this going to be a large impact on the season or is the fact that draft and everything is done kind of taken up a lot of what the GM would be doing in these intervening months? I think, you know, any move like this in the front office, you don't expect it to have a major impact straight away. This is the kind of thing that slowly filters out over a number of, of seasons. And there's obviously a big question mark over why, like over, or over the circumstances in which he was let go. Obviously, there's been a number of moves that have had to be made by the team in recent years due to the extensions given to, to players 
uh, in the team like Eric Berry. Uh, a lot of money's gone into these players like Justin Houston, Eric Berry on the defense. And then they've also made some interesting decisions around the quarterback room, obviously drafting Mahomes with a lot of draft picks and looking at the long-term future with Alex Smith. Then, you know, you hear about this story with Jeremy Macklin where he was cut. He, he, he got married uh, like the week beforehand and instead of going on honeymoon went to OTAs. Yeah, so he, he skipped his own honeymoon to go to OTAs and then he gets cut. And like the, the, like the timing of the cut is much to do with the you know the arcane rules of like cap management in the NFL due to post June first designation being able to split cap over two years. But the timing couldn't be any worse considering what that like you know Jerry Macklin he hasn't had the most illustrious career in KC but he's been a solid contributor. And there's just kind of a feeling here that all of these moves have left the team in a situation where it's still a good team, but there's question marks over whether. Dorsey was the best person to kind of play the cap management game and the kind of more difficult decisions that now have to be made because so many players are getting getting paid. Like, you know, maybe like, like that's the probably the most generous assumption is that Dorsey just isn't have the same skill set that's required to kind of build the team up from like a young base. Less generous assumptions might be around the power plays going on or the situation regarding Andy Reid. Uh, but I really don't know about the ins and outs of KC to really uh, know what's been coming out since this happened. Yeah. I don't know, Connor, you've heard things because obviously you're probably wired into a lot more KC blogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Has there been any like, additional information coming out of what's happened here? Well, it seems to be rather than a power struggle with Reed, it would appear to be more a power struggle with Hunt and him not being happy with how a lot of these deals have been being done. A lot of the large contracts that were given out were given out late and were at the more extreme end of the spectrum for them. And I think he wasn't happy because it, if you remember back, this was the same problem they had with Pioli of he was mismanaging cap and leaving them up against it the whole time. And depending on which side you listen to, there's a question over whether or not this was due to the GM wanting to be able to get out of the contract should the Green Bay job come up. That's a suggestion that's going around. But for the most part, it seems to be Dorsey's negotiation style was not working well with trying to get players signed it was rumoured well before this happened that it was Andy Reid and Clark Hunt had to step in to get the Eric Berry deal done because Berry would not negotiate with John Dorsey anymore because of the way that he approached it things like the insurance clause that was discussed last year when they tagged Berry was apparently a unilateral decision made by John Dorsey and he had a number of these that he did without consultation so rather than it be an Andy Reid power play it seems to be that Clark Hunt wasn't happy with how much information is being shared with him about decisions that were being made and potentially that might be what the what the underlying like power structure problems would have been there. I don't think this is a Reed move, mostly because they are currently hiring someone else and Reed is apparently not involved in the hiring of this new person. But uh, and Reed has also said very adamantly that he wanted to step away from player personnel side and just coach for a while. So we'll see what happens with it. I just find it weird that they allowed uh, was Ballard to walk and take the job over in, with the Colts, given that he was probably the natural successor within in-house. Which does say, and obviously we won't know probably for a number of years, it does suggest that this was either something that happened in the most recent five months since they allowed Ballard to walk, or something like the, uh, like, like, like the Eric Berry deal price tag or the release of Jeremy Macklin was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because if you knew you were going to be doing this, you're not going to let that successor walk out, I don't think. I suppose we'll see how this one plays out further on down the line. We we'll probably won't hear anything until we get some tell-all memoirs in about 15 years <laughs> anyway. More of the AFC West. Uh, Oakland have made some moves to solidify their future. Uh, Derek Carr has got an extension of five years, $125 million. In confusing language, $40 million fully guaranteed, 
30 million guaranteed, but I think guaranteed with an asterisk beside it. Carr was coming off a very a very successful season as quarterback until he broke his leg. This will be interesting to see because it kind of sets the tone for the quarterback's market moving forward and also sets up, well, essentially Derek Carr as a very, very high cap number moving forward for this offense that has, and uh, this is a team that has three or four very large name superstars that are going to be due paydays in the next two years. So this will be interesting to see how it affects our cap. What do you think of this move do you think they pay too much or do you think this is just something that needs to get done Harry I mean in terms of it being too much this is the market now we know that there's been sort of uh, particularly with obviously the cap increasing year on year and now with the ability increased ability teams have since the last CBA to sort of shuttle things around there has been a, an inflation that's happened uh, quite rapidly I think and I mean when you have a guy like Derek Carr when you have him coming off the season that you do I think you know you have to really throw the kitchen sink at him because the risk of him leaving like he's a guy you have to keep at any cost that's the future of your franchise right there it's a franchise that has been in the pits for a very long period of time that really turned around when Carr uh, was signing with Carr's development over the last few seasons so it's the kind of it's the kind of money you you really have to pay it I don't know if it sets the marketing so far because I think the market was already kind of there I think we'll see I think Max Stafford is the next guy who's due a big payday so we'll see if this kind of influences where that ends up but what I thought was interesting was that apparently and I, I obviously this, this is unsubstantiated but the story is is that Carr could have been paid more but agreed to take less on the condition that they would go out and give a big money off to Gabe Jackson the guard which they did do and mm. um, Jackson signing a five year 56 million dollar contract so apparently could have been a, a bigger contract if if the team had, had decided that they, they, they weren't going to they weren't going to pursue re-signing Jackson obviously you see that, that makes sense there you've got a guy who the quarterback trusts protecting him cool yeah you go and you make that move but for Oakland, look, you have that talent, you pin it down, you, you surround them with um, guys who they trust, guys they can work with. And at the end of the day, it's an insane amount of money, but it's what it's what you get when you play that well. Yeah, well, this is the thing. So Kirk Cousins is getting paid more than this on the tag. And yeah, well. A little mismanaged. If Derek, if Derek Carr's you know, enthusiasm to get Gabe Jackson signed is in any way... Uh, inspired by his brother's uh, interesting career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did, I did flag up when we were chatting during the week, guys. That uh, so this paired with all of the all of the uh, lineman contracts that they that the Raiders have put their their offensive line and quarterback combined to over seventy million a year. So they're spending more than fifty percent of their cap space on just the offensive line and the quarterback. Now, they're going to have to pay defensive pieces. They're going to have to pay their receivers. They're going to have to probably swap out some of this line to make it a little bit cheaper moving forward. It'll be interesting to see how much they can maintain this line over the next three or four years to give them the continuity. Because if if what he wants is continuity and guards he can trust, there is a slight risk here given how much money is invested in this part of the thing. And I know it's important, especially in a pass-rush-heavy division like they're in, but that's 50%, over 50% of your cap being dedicated to those six players is a lot of money. Yeah, I think it comes, it's interesting because like Oakland, it's when you said, you know, at the very start, Oakland have other, other pieces they need to pay. I don't know if they do. There's a lot of sort of hodgepodge on that team, particularly on the defense that we've seen. But I think there's, there's one player really who it, it's yeah. going to come down to, and that's Khalil Mack, obviously. Because, you know, there are other guys who are there, but, you know, you think, okay, you can replace them. But when you have a guy like Khalil Mack and when it's his turn to get paid, that's where I think yeah, you might see the cap situation becoming a little trickier for the team. And estimates for him at the moment are sitting at about 21.5, 22 million a year yeah. is what they'd expect to pay him, which then suddenly means that they've got 90 million of their cap eaten up by six, seven players. Good lord. Uh, but no, like it's a smart move. Carr looked excellent last year, has developed every year that he's been in the league. Uh, 
Hopefully he can like finally win more than one game against the Chiefs this year. Maybe he might be able to do that. He's uh, he's been paid 125 million for every game he's beaten the Chiefs, which I, I quite like. Um, we'll move on to uh, to some of the some of the player moves around the league. So uh, we discussed this as a potential and a good landing spot, but Tennessee have signed Eric Decker to a one year deal. It's essentially kind of a one year prove it deal. Uh, I think this is a great match for both the player to get an opportunity in offense that will suit him and Tennessee to pick up another weapon for that young quarterback. What do you think, Ronan? Yeah, like I think, as we discussed on the last podcast, I think what Eric Decker gives you, even if he's lost a step through the surgery, is a red zone target. He's someone who is physical, who can get to the ball. He's kind of like, like even if he, like in the worst case scenario, he basically turns into kind of younger Anquan Bolden type player that you can rely on. I think that's just something that is always very useful for a player like Mariota. And considering how efficient Mariota was in the red zone last year, this could only improve that situation even further. Yeah, uh, Detroit traded a six-rounder for Greg Robinson. They've also signed uh, Cyrus, uh, let's go for this one, Kuandijo. Like, we, we, we know from last week I'm not particularly high on this Detroit Lions team at all. Uh, do you think these, these guys will be impact players for them, Harry? Well, Greg Robinson is an enormous bust. Uh, first-round pick, now traded for a six-rounder. And I think the last time we checked in on Cyrus, he was being uh, having a mental breakdown and being arrested by the police. Yep. Uh, and sections so that's a, a gamble but look these are two sort of low cost guys who've shown that they have physical tools who've just never quite been able to put it together so getting one of them as a, as a free agent and getting the other for a six round pick uh, as potential rotational O-lineman it's, it's, it's a low it's a low risk move yeah. and if they reckon they can coach either of these guys up to be better than they to be better than they have been then it's not really going to be much and these are, so it's like yeah look if you can get those guys cheap and see if there is anything there see if there's something that Maybe the other teams are doing wrong. These two moves do pan out, and if it doesn't, the worst thing they've done is lost a six-round pick. So I, I don't see this as being a bad move. Well, the, the context of this is I think Taylor Decker ended up tearing his labrum and was out for about four months. So there's kind of a situation where, and if, if that if that ends up being longer, then obviously that's their left tackle. So I think there's to a certain extent they're kind of building up like a roster of flings, so to hopefully at least one of them stick long enough. For Decker to come back and hopefully solidify the line uh, in, in season. So I think it's just having someone who can play left tackle for those, that first month or so of the season. Uh, well, in New York news, uh, they're not tanking the season. They swear they're definitely not tanking the season. Just look, they're signing wide receivers, left, right and centre. Or, well, left. Uh, Marquise Wilson signed to a one-year deal coming over from the Bears where he was a very uneventful player from my lack of memory of him. But... Like, do we expect much out of him here? Uh, I, see, we, we, I see Fizzle's just changed the spelling. We, we spelled it wrong, too. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> there you go. But, sorry, Marcus. Of his talent. I think, basically, he'll probably be competing against Robbie Anderson for the YR2 role. That kind of tells you what the New yep. York Jets are right Brilliant. now. Quality. Quality <laughs> starters all around. Uh, and then, uh, in Ivers, he's uh, coming from the Jets, I believe. Uh, the New England Patriots have now picked up David Harris on a two-year kind of vet come win your uh, come win your ring move the only other kind of news coming out at the moment is that Doriel Green Beckham has been released and has cleared waivers so it's now free for any other team to take a punt on him uh, it says a lot in Philadelphia are releasing you given the state of their wide receiving core at the moment uh, he was was he top of the second round I think he was drafted in yeah. uh, only two three years ago uh, he's been through two teams already and they haven't been able to find anything from all accounts a top athlete but not much of a football player uh, that brings us nicely along to uh, our favourite section of this and every week crime and punishment what them players up to it's probably felonies um <laughs> 
Detroit defensive tackle uh, Kyrie Thornton has been suspended for six games for substance abuse. Yeah, actually, only one of these is a felony. Oh, wow, they're, yeah. doing, they're doing pretty well this time. Right? I suppose it depends on how they picked up some of these substances. Those could be felonies. <laughs> so that's six games for him. Uh, just another kind of nail in the coffin of what I think is going to be a dead season for Detroit. Uh, do we think this is going to be a big impact? No. I, I, I don't think it's it's a huge blow to Detroit. It's it's a useful player, and he lost him for six games. That obviously sucks. That's it's not life. like they've lost. A, no. They haven't lost a cornerstone from this. Yeah, uh, Dallas's defensive end and famed Holocaust denier David Irving has been suspended for four games <laughs> for PED violations. <laughs> uh, to be honest, it's probably good to see him moving on to to drug violations and some of the bigger things he's known for. Uh, this is probably a sizable enough loss for Dallas, given that they have no pass rush and this is a potential piece that could be providing it. Uh, like, what do you think, Ronan? Is this going to be a big, big impact? Well, it's interesting because isn't this like the second, third year where like Dallas defensive lineman has ended up being suspended? Yeah, suspended for multiple games for PED violations. I don't know. Nice little yearly, uh, like yearly tradition there in Dallas. Yeah, like you know, I, I, there's no, there's really no one along that defensive line in Dallas that you consider like you know irreplaceable. But certainly, it's a, it's also a line that couldn't be affording to lose what little talent it has. Uh, David Irving came on fairly well last year. He was okay, uh, and that just kind of means the loss in the defensive line, which really hasn't had much luck in keeping its players on the field yeah. uh, due to various misdemeanors. To fly through a couple of the other ones, Justin Gilbert has his ban extended to one year for the substance abuse policy violation. Uh, Green Bay's defensive tackle, uh, Latroy Guion, is in arrest for a DUI charge. He was already sitting a four-game suspension for a substance abuse policy, so we'll see the outcome of this. That probably normally means that they're going to miss a year. And uh, Michael Floyd, who's currently serving a DUI probation, has uh, broken the conditions of that by uh, getting drunk. Uh, and then getting caught. Now, he has maintained that he was not drinking, uh, that he was drinking kombucha tea, tea, which has the alcohol content of non-alcoholic beer. Uh, He was tested at half five, six in the morning, which would mean you'd have to stay up all night drinking several litres of this tea an hour. Well, here's the thing. If you were drinking several litres of mushroom tea an hour, you probably would end up staying up all night, so... Could do, could do. I mean, just the bathroom breaks alone. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to get any any good rest anyway. Uh, and then just miscellaneous other bits from around the league. Uh, Nick Ferdy has been sent to uh, a non-footballing injury, injured reserve, for a heart condition that's been identified. I think at the moment they're expecting him to be out for the year, but they are going for further testing. This is obviously a, a, a blow for New Orleans. So, Harry, what do you think the impact of this is? Yeah, well, Ferdy's been a, a good a good piece on that, on that defense. And he's a guy who's had a, a tough career. Obviously, he had struggles with depression and with his weight and, and everything. And... Uh, had a little bit of a renaissance in, in New Orleans, has became quite a solid player and, and a good part of that defense after obviously all the struggles uh, that happened in, in Detroit, I think it was, uh, previously. So it, it is a shame to see this happen and, you know, whatever the, the whatever comes out of it, I think you just have to hope the best for his health and whether that means he's able to play on, hopefully he is. And if, mm. But if it means he has to retire, then, you know, it, 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 it's unfortunate, but it, it is good in the sense that these things are, are being caught, that they do have screening and testing for these things and... Um, you know, it's encouraging in that sense that, that yeah. they're able to look for this, and this is something that people are now aware of, and players are being told that you need to, you know, this is something that is serious, and you need to put yourself ahead of the game of football. So, from that perspective, I think that's 
that's the small positive I can take from what is just a really unfortunate situation. In kind of an inverse of what we had there, uh, Zach Orr, kind of superstar linebacker of the Ravens, uh, now an unrestricted free agent due to the fact that they believed that he was retiring and didn't tag him or anything, uh, has now decided after having many medical reviews that said the, uh, the, the, the strange spine condition that he has puts him at huge risk, has now found some doctors that have said he's at no more risk than anyone else and he's out looking for a job again. This will be interesting to see because this is a top tier player like this guy could come in and start on most most uh, teams at the moment but there's obviously question marks over whether or not it would be safe to have him take the field and whether or not you want to take that risk of someone who has some kind of uh, structural issue with their spine and wanting to put them in such a hard-nosed, hard-hitting position. It's remarkable, really, when you read about this, just like how successful he was in that aggressive of a position if he's had this the entire time. But uh, what do you reckon, Fitz? Is this the kind of thing that someone will take a, take a punt on or is it going to be kind of just heavily scrutinised, heavily, heavily worried about and then maybe just said you're better off to leave it well you're basically getting an opportunity to have a pro bowl all pro level inside linebacker for probably pennies on the dollar uh it's just yeah there's that risk of course that like if he got injured seriously injured that's obviously something that wouldn't look good for a team of course would be a huge tragedy um so like it's difficult to know because obviously you know he's like mid-20s obviously was doing really well but never really got that big contract i know discussed at the time that if he had stayed in for one more year, he was probably due a significant contract, one of the bigger inside linebacker contracts, yeah. and he never got that payday because of the rookie scale. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was maybe financial issues, but it does sound like, from what he's talking, it's just that he misses football, misses him having that purpose, and that's completely understandable. Uh, but that means that he's biased. That means he can't really see things clearly. So you know, if you go to enough doctors, you can probably get someone who will say okay. So I think you know if you're if your team is going to take this risk, you want to ensure that your your doctors are taking utmost due diligence to make sure that you know this is legit that he's you know legitimately safe. Otherwise, we could have something you know really tragic on our hands here. So you know like I think some team will definitely take a risk on him because of the value proposition here. Uh, a team like Detroit, for example. But like you know personally, I don't think any GM wants to be in a position where they'd have to make that kind of move. Uh, and then it's only more positive news. Uh, former New England and Kansas City uh, offensive lineman Ryan O'Callaghan came out as gay. Uh, he wrote a piece in the, uh, I think it was published in a number of places, published in the Players Tribune as well as in Out Times and a few ones like that. Uh, basically saying how he'd struggled with this all his life, uh, did what come out, used football as a mechanism to kind of hide his, his homosexuality, uh, then came out to uh, to to uh, his general manager, Scott Pioli, at the time and a number of teammates and they were very supportive and uh, it, it was a very positive piece but it was quite quite depressing to see just how much internalised self-hatred was there uh, underlying it all I must say I was never a big fan of Scott Pioli but reading this piece Scott Pioli handled it excellently uh, and was was great with him and it's a good it's a good sign one to see players coming out and being able to talk about this and two it's obviously a positive step to us being able to have openly out players playing as well hopefully this is a stepping stone towards that rather than just the limbo of Michael Sam so I suppose that covers up most of the news lads we swing on and we'll start our uh, NFC South and NFC West previews so we'll kick off with the NFC South uh, for, for, for newish listeners uh, Buccaneers Falcons Panthers and Saints we'll kick off I suppose with the Buccaneers I'll run through a couple of the movements that have happened I, I, like, I like your reference of kick with the Buccaneers oh a bit of foreshadowing a bit of foreshadowing 
the most important storyline of the off-season. Um, so I'll talk about some of the additions, some of the people who are out, some of the talking points, and I'll come to you guys for what you think are kind of the major major areas. So the Buccaneers have added Deshaun Jackson, OJ Howard, JJ Wilcox, and Chris Baker. They've lost Vincent Jackson, Russell Shepard, Bradley McDougall, Alteron Werner, and Mike Glennon. So kind of a couple of nice additions, a couple of players who I think they would have liked to have been able to maintain there. So the question is, in I suppose things like in the NFC where there are these high-powered offences, even within this specific NFC South, where there are high-powered offences coming out, out of their arse, essentially. Like, is this team going to be able to compete at the high level it's going to need to be able to get out of this division? Are we going to be able to see Jackson and Howard come in and help reduce the the, the, the Evans pressure that's sitting there? And then, of course, my favourite storyline of the entire thing, kick to the death. Aguayo versus Folk. Uh, Folk pulled ahead earlier. But uh, on recent recent reports, uh, it seems that Aguayo has, has bested him in the last two sets of kicking competitions. Who will survive? Who knows? This is a very intriguing team. Nice young base. Good-looking offense. I think everyone's quite excited about them, but wondering whether or not they are ready to, to really ascend this season or whether it'll be next season. So I'll come to you on this, Harry. What do you think are the kind of big, big talking areas for this team? Well, I mean, I, I think this is the key one. It's like, when is this team going to turn the corner? This has been a building project that should be coming to fruition fairly soon. For me, personally, I I, I don't know if Jameis Winston is going to be a guy. He's good, but I don't know if he's ever going to be that elite guy who can succeed regardless. But I do like what they're doing. Of They're building a team that's trying to give him as many opportunities as possible. And you say, look, like Vincent Jackson was a... Very, very good wide receiver for a very long time, but he was old, he was slow, he was very, very limited. You replace him with Deshaun Jackson, you've got a guy who can offer a different dimension to that. You've Now, instead of having two big guys in Evans and uh, Jack and Vincent Jackson, you now have a guy who can take the top off defences in Deshaun Jackson. And so when he's have, looking at it from the quarterback position, it'll have the same name on the jersey, yes, so it won't be too confusing. Exactly, it'll be very, very simple. <laughs> Um, but you, like that's the kind of move you want to see a team making of being like, okay, so we 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 have we've we settled on our quarterback in the future. Obviously, I think he's still very limited in some ways, but he has developed over the last few seasons. So you know, there's something there. What do we do to give this guy a chance to succeed? I don't know if this is going to be the season for that. This team, I still think there are significant questions uh, surrounding the defense. I don't think JJ Wilcox is going to really improve anyone anywhere. Like he is a like a, a, a piece, a useful piece. But he's not going to be much more than that. So I still think there are, I think they're a while away from having built a team that's going to be a juggernaut. But they're going, I think, they're going for that offense. They're saying, look, we have, we know, we know the direction we want to take the team in. They're moving in correctly in that direction, I think. But I think there are too many question marks about things like there are still problems on the O line. There are still problems in the defensive backfield that I don't know if the team has managed to comprehensively address. And I think as long as those are particularly playing in, as as you said, as high powered and offensive divisions this being just another team that's going to get into foot races and shootouts is only going to get you so far and you saw like what tipped the scale for the Falcons who we'll discuss later last season was to a huge extent the development of a defense that while it didn't have a huge number of standout superstars perhaps was well drilled well coached and extremely effective and allowed that offense and gave that offense a platform to play incredibly good football but didn't necessarily feel the need to run up 50 points on every team to be sure they'd win and you'd still feel that was the case of the Bucks last year and you feel that's going to still be a little bit the case this year the way that team is built that they are a team that needs to score loads of points and if it doesn't do it isn't going to win games that it should win mm. so from that perspective I don't think they're quite there yet but I think they're still moving in the right direction in another year or two if they're able to keep these pieces together 
we could see them being a, a potentially dominant force in, in this conference. So what do you have them on the win-loss total then? So on the win-loss total, I have them going 10-6. I actually do have them making the playoffs. I don't have them going very far into the playoffs. Oh, okay. But I do think that there is enough offensive talent on this team to make that first step towards challenging. I don't think they're going to win the division, but I do think that they will get into the wild card round. I don't think they'll get beyond that. But I think that given given their schedule and given... Uh, the offensive talent that they have, they're going to come out on top more often than not and give themselves a platform to build on for the next season. No, of course. Now, Roland, do you think uh, a second-round pick is going to win this kicking competition? Or do you think the veteran well, veteran foot rather than veteran hand will, <laughs> will steer the course? Yeah, well, like I'm looking forward to this year's hard kicks uh, or hard knocks, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all about the kicking action this year in hard knocks because uh, the Buccaneers will be the hard knocks team. Like, obviously, Aguayo has all the advantages. He's a second-round pick. That's a huge investment uh, for a kicker. They're obviously, like, really invested in it. But obviously, we saw the empirical evidence last year. Aguayo was not good at kicking. That's his one job, literally his only job. Uh, and he wasn't very good at it. So they're going to have to make a tough decision. But, I like, as long as Aguayo... Like, if it's a coin flip, Aguayo will win the coin flip. So I think that makes it a very difficult job for folk. But I think folk is up for it. I think like there was a quote earlier in the in the season where he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, like I'll help him whatever it is." But you know, I have a family to feed. It's like, game on, bitches! I'm gonna <laughs> this is my fucking career. This is my life. You know, I'm going to war for this shit. So like, I, I think it's going to be exciting because like it's it's actually creating a life of its own. It's not just like a media thing for the laughs, whatever like that. I know Dan Hans is in, in NFL.com is really into the storyline, but there's already stories about every kicking practice. Like, like at the end of OTAs there was a kicking practice round and everyone on the team was watching it and watching this competition between them so there's even it's creating had a buzz around it now which is you know probably exciting and bad for kickers in general because <laughs> <laughs> you know kicking is usually about you know blocking out the noise um, but I suppose that's good practice for the actual football so and I think this is actually more important than you might expect because uh, in contrast to what people have generally talked about which is the increases on the offense I think the biggest thing about this Bucks team was that towards the end of last season, I think we really saw that defense start coming together and gel because there's a huge amount of talented players on that defense. Like in terms of like uh, talking about veterans, you have Gerald McCoy, you have Levante David, you have Brent Grimes. They're good, solid players. And then you bring in people like Chris Baker and J.K. Wilcox to supplement that, and you have players coming through like Vernon Hargreaves and players like um, Noah Spence. And I think like. There's a potential that this team could have one of the surprisingly best defenses in the NFC. Now, it would be up against some of the best offenses in the NFC side, so I don't know if it'll turn up on the points, uh, like the points differential, but I think in terms of pure talent and its actual ability to hold things down, it'll be very good. And obviously, if the defense does take that next step up and become one of the better best defenses in the NFC, then kicking will become more important because you're going to be in more close games and have more situations where Aguayo or Folk could be kept on. Yeah, so your uh, so your win loss on these guys then. So I have them going ten and six and getting the fifth seed, just like Harry. Ah, very good. Yeah, like I'd agree a lot of what you're saying. I think they're in ascendancy. I think they're maybe a season 
away from kind of really getting there because I think I have this I have this as being a very exciting division I think we all do actually we're very close on a lot of this uh, bizarrely on this one we've all picked 10 and 6 the difference is I've got them missing the playoffs on 10 and 6 mm. and coming number 7 uh, I think it's going to be very exciting uh, on to the Falcons next uh, the Super Bowl runners up of last year also known as the Super Bowl losers Super Bowl, uh. Super, Super Bowl participants I think is the political uh, phrase right they participated in half that game <laughs> um, <laughs> So they've added Dontari Poe, Tackers McKinley, uh, Sean Harlow. They've lost uh, Chris Chester, Pat DeMarco, uh, Jacob Tammy. Uh, so obviously a lot of the, the storylines around these guys in the offseason have been, are they going to experience this fabled Super Bowl hangover? Will the loss of their offensive coordinator to the 49ers cause a big change in what that offense will look like? And will this defense that was rounding very nicely but wasn't quite finished be able to to, to kind of rally into being an elite defense and really push them over the edge? Uh, can they play more than kind of two thirds of a game is the main question uh, so I suppose I'll come to you first on this Fitz like do you think these guys are going to be able to repeat the performance they got last year or are they going to fall back a bit I, I think personally they're going to fall back a bit I think that's just to a certain extent a reversion to the mean like I think if you look at uh, particularly at Matt Ryan Matt Ryan had an absolutely spectacular season last season and it's a very much a definitive outlier from the current, like from the seasons that he's had previously, I think the room to grow on that offense there isn't a huge amount of room to grow. It's like a really good offense, so that's not really a problem. But it wouldn't be surprising to see like the heights that they reach be like brought down a little bit. I think like losing an experienced defensive line like Chris Chester doesn't exactly help. Sean Hardo, he's a solid contributor, and it shouldn't weaken the offensive line too much. But it's still not. Uh, it's definitely not an upgrade anyway. And they like they lose a couple of. Uh, kind of those kind of depth players like Pat DeMarco and Jacob Tammy that kind of take away from maybe the versatility they might have had uh, they're particularly weak at uh, a tight end doesn't really matter supposedly with Julio Jones because he's like a better tight end like it, it kind of feels like the Falcons might be the Panthers from a year before in the sense that there's no way that you can reach that thing now I think the difference between the Panthers and the Falcons is that the Falcons are a better run team with better coaching and that that defense is definitely on the ascendancy rather than kind of how he reaches peak so that kind of gives me things. So I think if they're going to repeat what they did last year and like go to the Super Bowl and maybe even win a Super Bowl, I think the biggest key will be not the offense, which will be good, but I think might have a better version, but that defense can have the next step up that I think everyone expects that they can. Obviously with Dan Quinn, they have an elite defensive mind. Can that defense take the next step up? Because I think everyone was excited about the defense as the season went on, but there was still no denying that they did give up a lot of points. Uh, sometimes in some pretty critical situations, I'm told. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, like for me, for me, actually, the big thing this season will be the defense. Can that defense take the next step up and take some of the pressure off the offense? And if they can do that, then I think they can even be even better than last season because there'll be a lot more balance as a team. I don't think personally that will happen. I think that defense might just need one more year to cook up a bit. But I think, like, given the talent of the team, there's no way that they're not still a contender in an AFC. It's just whether they can replicate the magic of last season as well as they did. So why do you have them finishing up the season? So I have them finishing 11-5, and five, which would be good enough for the third seed. Very good, very good. So what about yourself, Harry? You've seen how they were <laughs> able to, to both do excellent and horrifying things in equal measure, uh, even within a single game. What do you think are going to be the key elements going into this season for this Falcons team? Well, I think I think Ronan kind of hit the nail on the head a bit there. Like we know, it's like can Matt Ryan maintain that level of performance? Can Julio Jones stay healthy? Um, 
and keep up the production of, of that of that offense, then it's like, can they integrate the new pieces into the defense? Guys like Tack McKinley, can they bring in Dontari Poe and, and settle him in and find a find a role for him? Because mm-hmm. uh, obviously, if you know, like there some teams uh, sometimes with particularly with, with the interior linemen and nose tackle type players like Poe, who uh, will generally play in a rotation, sometimes struggle to, to use them to the best of their ability. Personally, I think this is a well enough coached team that they're going to be able to meet those challenges. Like, I mean. When you look at who's left, they haven't really lost anyone critical. As Ron said, there are some solid players, some depth players, and of course they lost a lot of grit with Pat DeMarco leaving. But by and large, this is this is a team that has the core talent on offense from last season. It still has Ryan, it still has Jones, it still has that incredibly exciting uh, running back tandem that, as we've seen, can can do just is so versatile and so balanced between the two of them can do a huge amount of damage. Yeah, they've still got um. They've got guys like Tyler Gabriel who are capable of like these moments of individual brilliance. They've got a lot of guys who are very versatile and very can make very very unpredictable offense. I still think they can do that. And I think part of the reason, like when you talk about like, Matt Ryan having an outlier season, I don't think you can just look at Matt Ryan and be like, oh, Matt Ryan just did way better than he's ever done before. There are reasons for that, and part of it is having these weapons, is having that versatility around him, is having guys like not just having Julio Jones. And you have to just let him win the game for you. It's like now you've got. You can do so much. You have two guys who can come out of the backfield in Freeman and Coleman. You have a guy like uh, Gabriel who can just set games alight. You have a guy like Justin Hardy who showed flashes last season. Like, there's still a huge amount of talent on the on the offense, and that's all still going to be there. And to be honest with you, on paper, it looks like they've improved the defense. They still have the guys who we saw made big steps um, last year, like Vic Beasley had a phenomenal season, and guys like uh, Grady Jarrett coming on towards the end. And then you add Poe and McKinley to that. And like this is a team that's still very, very scary. Will they do as well as last season? Will they make it to a Super Bowl again? It's very hard to say because there's so many fine margins when you get down to that end of the season. But I think this is still one of the best teams in the NFL and has kept the core talent that made it one of the best teams in the NFL. So, yeah, I think this is going to be another another strong season for the Falcons. Personally, I have them going 13-3. That's also good enough for the, for the number three seed. Um, but this is going to be a very, very, very tough team to beat, and I think they're going to have another deep run this year. Oh yeah, like this is the thing. I'm, I'm with you guys in this. I see them as having improved spots on their defense. I imagine their offense will still look as dangerous as it was. I do sometimes question whether the loss of the offensive coordinator will impact that, but I presume having seen this and having most of their players returning that are bedded into that system, they'll use the same one. I also have them going 13 and three, and in my uh, calculations, that isn't good enough for the two seed and getting a first round bye as well, which is very important. So we'll move on to the Panthers now. Uh, they've added in uh, Christian McCafferty, Matt Cleal, Julius Peppers. Uh, they've lost Ted Ginn, Corey Brown, Mike Remmers, Mike Tom. Uh, so I suppose the main storylines have been surrounding these guys is like what can they do with this relatively poor wide receiver core? Will they be able to see it? Will Benjamin be able to trim down because uh, he looked fucking monstrously huge? They haven't really done much to address the edge rush. Like they've brought in Peppers, but he's an old guy, might not be able to perform. <laughs> uh, and uh, how Mike Shiloh will actually use uh, McCar- uh, McCaffrey and how they'll be able to utilise him in their in their offence. So I suppose I'll come to you on this one first, Harry. Like, this is a team that suffered a very strong Super Bowl hangover last year. Uh, and I think to an extent it was an underperformance of where I think we thought they should be rather than necessarily a reflection of where they were talent-wise. Do you expect to see that reversed this year? And what do you think of the main factors to impact that? Well, they seem, they seem to alternate, don't they, season by season. I, I thought they were going to be able to maintain it last season, to be honest with you. Same. But uh, they really didn't. And I think I think you're right that this is... We're seeing more their level. 
questions and holes on the team that were kind of covered up during that run that really, really came to the fore last season, and I, I'm not sure they have addressed them. I don't think this is a struggle quite as much as they did last year. But when I look at that wide receiving core, like it's not good. It's it's not good. Like Kelvin Benjamin cannot be relied on week on week to perform. Devin Funchess has never really lived up to the physical potential that he, he should have. And then after that, it's it's who? Yeah. Like, there really is a, a, a complete lack of, of, of talent at wide receiver. And yeah, you can say, okay, they've got Greg Olson, one of the best tight ends in the league. But again, there's only there's only so much you can do without having like a, a proper threat there. And by losing guys like Corey Brown and Ted Ginn, yeah, they were definitely not reliable, but they were different. They were speedsters. They, they had a different dimension to the offense, and they're gone now. And they, I don't know what their replacement is. Maybe one of these young players who we don't know a lot about, who they've picked up, might be able to step into that role. But you're worried that this might limit them more than the, than they have been otherwise. I do think the interesting, the addition of McCaffrey is interesting, but I'm not sure. We don't we don't know. It's a huge question mark over a guy like McCaffrey. It's like, what is his ceiling? And it's like, if this guy turns out to be a superstar, great. If he turns out to suck, that sucks. Realistically, I think we're looking at you know. We could be just looking at... And this would not be a bad scenario for the team. is a Danny Woodhead-type player. Mm. And that's an incredibly useful player to have. But is that somebody who is going to get you two, three extra wins a season? Probably not. So a huge amount, I think, swings on whether or not McCaffrey is as good as the Panthers seem to think he is and if their highness on him is justified and whether or not he can bring a, a dimension to that offense that then allows them to cover up for having a weak wide receiver core because they have, again, that backfield receiving threat uh, to couple with a good tight end that takes the pressure off the big guys outside, yeah. so that's going to be that's going to be a really really interesting one to to follow. I'm not convinced of it, and I'm not convinced that you they're going to throw McCaffrey in and he's going to explode and just make a huge difference. Now, I do think there's a huge amount of talent on this team, uh, so I think they will have a winning season. I have them going nine and seven, but I don't think they're anywhere close to the Falcons. And at the moment, I you know I don't I don't think I don't know if they'll they'll come out top against the Bucks. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. No, fair enough. What about yourself, Ronan? Is this addition of McCaffrey something that makes you kind of think this offense can start clicking like it did previously? Like, they do still have one of the most electric quarterbacks in the world playing for them. This isn't the world, in the league. Like, there's well, not... you're, you're the world champion when you win the Super Bowl, so... Yeah, exactly. I know, but like, you know, you don't see that many, like, you know, the, the, the Japanese Huskies entering all that often or anything, you know? <laughs> the problem is, is that this is an offense that has kind of built itself up in that Super Bowl winning season by being ground and pound, being incredibly physical. And Christian McCaffrey, you know, he's a really good player, but he isn't necessarily a fit with that. So there's a question mark. There's a lot of question marks in the offseason of order. Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator, who's generally seen as being quite a conservative play caller, will have the, you know, for lack of term, cojones to kind of mix things up and move away from the read option, like heavy run sets, to kind of create the space in which a player like McCaffrey is supposed to be better in. So for me personally, that like you know at a point in his career where Cam Newton is supposed to be making that transition from being that kind of physical like talent-based quarterback, he's just so talented he can kind of get away with stuff, to being a more refined finesse quarterback. It's kind of very worrying that they're kind of moving forward with a wide receiver group that doesn't really have the capacity to take up that burden and that the offensive line is really still a bit of a mess. Like they brought in McAleel. I don't know if McAleel was the answer. They certainly overpaid him a lot. So yeah. it's not a question mark. I think like the defense should still be good. Uh, but I think the biggest question of defense is like Luke Keekley dealing with a lot of concussions the last few seasons. There's like a major subplot there over whether that's something we see again because there's only so many more times you can see this thing 
uh, the concussion issue emerged with Luke Keekley before people are going to have to ask whether he should continue to keep playing. And if they were to lose Keekley for any extended period of time, we know that this defense isn't the same unit. So for me, there's a, like it's a talented team, certainly good enough to compete, but I think in a stacked NFC South, uh, and with the major question marks that they have at wide receiver on the offensive line, I'm not sure that they'll have enough to be a, a player in the playoffs, uh, to be someone in the playoffs at the end of the season. So I ended up going 8-8 eight and eight, uh, this season, having an average season. Very disappointing, kind of like a discount Ravens, basically. Yeah, I have a, I have a similar outcome expected for them. I got them going 9-7, and seven, uh, good enough for 8th, but obviously not making the playoffs of that. I think we're going to see an interesting change on the offense. I think you're right, we're going to see them trying to move that a little bit to maybe to start to put in the the, 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 the elements that would allow uh, Cam to transition to, to a more finesse quarterback. But I, I don't know if it's going to be able to take, and I especially don't think you can rely on a first-year kind of combo running back wide receiver to step in and, and make that much of a difference in year one when you're transitioning your entire offense anyway. Uh, so on finally uh, to the Saints who are going to finish out the NFC South for us uh, they've added uh, Adrian Peterson and Alvin Kamara to what is now a very busy looking backfield uh, Ryan Ramzik, Larry Walford uh, Marshawn Lattimore and Raphael Bush they've lost uh, Jairus Bird, Roman Harper uh, Jerry Evans Tim Hightower um, well, like one narrative from previous years that has not seemed to have changed is this defence is probably still absolutely shite uh, so we need to have a look at what what they can do to fix that. Like, what the impact of superstar Adrian Peterson with new rookie Alvin Kamara and how that running back system will, will, will turn. And then even just at the pure base of it, this is a team that passes more than it runs. How are they going to feed these guys? Like, we're, we're not talking about a, a pass-catching running back in Adrian Peterson unless he's undergone a massive change in the last kind of, you know, year and a half of injuries. And, and obviously, just can they protect Drew Brees? He's now 38, 39 years old. Uh, he's only, I think, 60 touchdowns away from the, from the all-time touch touchdown record beating uh, Peyton which would be very interesting as well do we think this team can 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 compete or is it just still too one-sided that it is an offensive juggernaut that will just allow you to score against them well yeah like I think the Adrian Peterson Adrian Peterson Alvin Kamara well Adrian Peterson in particular speaks to a team that well just like having running backs but also speaks to you know Adrian Peterson it will be a much better player for them if their defense can put them in positions where running the rock actually makes sense. That hasn't been true for nearly half a decade now, but they did like add a lot of like they added Marshawn Lattimore in the draft. He was you know considered to be like the second best, uh, if not the best, defensive back in, in in the draft, and could hopefully make an immediate impact. But the problem for this team and Raphael Bush is kind of like a, a decent safety. And like the problem is is that you know de- they like because of the kind of threadbare nature of that defense. Every single person that they come in to fix it, and they've tried a lot of things over the years, like, like players like Nick Fairley over the years to try and fix it, they have to make an instant impact. They have to be good straight away. And that's just not a good way. And I think the problem continues to be that the defense is so talent poor that it's gonna like, that you actually need a full rebuild of it, but they, they've never really been willing to spend the draft and like, financial capital to do that properly. It's always been like patches. It's always been quick fixes. Marshall Dadamore hopefully can be, like, can be their CB1, but there's no guarantee of that. And for me personally, yeah, we're probably going to end up seeing the same situation where Drew Brees will need to throw for 5,000 yards, will need to air it out to Michael Thomas, and that will always have to happen. And that will probably favour players like uh, Alvin Kamara more than Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson will end up having a bad season. 
So for me personally, like this is continues to be a really good team, but it's in the top probably you know if not the toughest, certainly the second toughest division in the NFL right now. And for me, a team which is so obviously imbalanced and which is a defense would what well, isn't able to stand up to uh, like three fairly good offenses in its division alone. That's major black mark against them. So I think you know Saints are gonna be a lot more exciting games. Maybe they'll break the all points in a game record again for no good reason. But at the end of the day, that kind of variance just isn't going to get you to the playoffs. So for me, I personally have to go 7-9, and nine, another kind of saint season, it seems, these days. What about yourself, Harry? Do you think that they're going to be able to find a bit more balance by, you know, they've got a lot of running backs in there. They might be able to control the time of possession more. They might be able to, even if their defense doesn't step up, their offense might be able to to stunt the amount of time that opposition, not that opposition ever really needed much time to score on them. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a change in mentality that the Saints are going to need to succeed with that. And I mean, the problem is it's really, really hard to do that when you've got Drew Brees at quarterback. Like, he's really, really, really really good and if you de-emphasize Breeze and you know push this running back committee and it doesn't work like that's a disaster so there's no easy option here we know what Breeze can give but we know he's being asked too much being asked of him like his arm is falling off regularly like he's like this thing like he's, he's you can see he's physically worn out his old shoulder injury he's had for years and years he's been flaring up again because he's being asked to do so much um, but if you go away from that, and you know, like Peter, Adrian Peterson, we don't actually know how good Adrian Peterson is. I think he's probably terrible. Yeah, we, we don't know. <laughs> we haven't seen Adrian Peterson play properly in a very, very long time. We don't know how good Alvin Kamara is. He's a rookie. We have a pretty good idea of Mark Ingram now, and he's, he seems to have improved significantly over the last few seasons. But he did that in a time split with Tim Hightower, who was having the best season of his career last year. Mm. So there's an awful lot of question marks even about that and the ability to do that. Adrian Peterson, you don't give him the ball and then he dominates and gets three and a half yards, three and a half yards, three and a half. He doesn't. Adrian Peterson has never been that kind of player. He's a guy who has a lot of short runs, wears down defenses, and then rips off big ones. And whether or not he can even still do that is completely up for question. So it's very hard to have a lot of confidence in this team, even though they have so much talent, even though we know they've got brilliant wide receivers. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think they have genuinely improved the offensive line, although that's really not saying much, all things considered. Yeah. Um, but they have. Like, I think that they've made some... Like, Warford's a solid player. Ramchick looks talented. What has actually changed? Nothing, really. Like, Ronan has, I think, said pretty much everything. And I think it's going to be another frustrating season. I also have them going 7-9. Uh, and nine Because, you know, they have enough talent to win seven games. Definitely, definitely. But I just don't see what the coherent plan to make the New Orleans Saints play consistently winning football is because they are doing the same thing they've been doing season after season after season. Oh yeah. I've got a slightly more positive thing. I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys are saying. I think we never discount their offense. I think the schedule they have allows them to have a couple of games where they will happily just go into it as a track meet and, and will win those. I've got them going 10-6, and six, taking the sixth seed and making it into the wild cards through that. Uh, to be honest, they've been doing these 5,000-yard seasons for a while. Eventually, it has to come back around that they're going to win a couple of these like bias-score games <laughs> rather than just lose them all. So uh, this is their year. They don't go very far if I remember the rest of my predictions. So we'll, uh, we'll save that till the, uh, till the later podcast. So that sums up the uh, the NFC South. Let's move on to the NFC West, the home of uh, Fitz's Seahawks. Uh, we've also got the current All or Nothing Rams, uh, last year's All or Nothing Cardinals, and uh, the 
Sadly, sadly, we play in a stadium made out of denim 49ers. Um, we'll start with the 49ers. Big additions, Kyle Shanahan's came in from the Super Bowl participating Falcons. Uh, Brian Hoyer and Pierre Garçon are in, as well as Sol- Solomon Thomas and Ruben Thomas. Uh, the Thomas brothers, uh, as they are not known because they are not related, uh, they have... <laughs> They have lost uh, Colin Kaepernick, Tremaine Brock, uh, Antoine Bethea, Tory Smith, uh, Patton, and Rod Streeter. Oh, God, they lost Rod Streeter. <laughs> so I suppose the question is, like, this is a team that was in disarray, terrible, uh, terrible roster, uh, but have now gotten the hottest coaching commodity in the league. They're giving him a lot of freedom. He got to hire his own uh, NFL media representative to acquire players for him. Uh, can Shanahan be competitive in year one? Uh, how will this new defence, young defence, kind of adapt to the new scheme? And then finally, can this 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 strange... You want to talk about kind of semi-named rethreads? Can this combo of Hoyer, Garcon and Hyde <laughs> be a power triple that can win them a couple of games this year? So um, I'll come to you first on this one, Ronan. Uh, do you think this is something that can come out of the gate and show some success purely through the strength of the coaching? Or do you think this is something where... Look, it'll be a nice project, but it won't be ready for at least two or three years. Well, the nice thing about this project is that success is, will probably be seen as fairly relative. Like, this isn't a team that anyone, even like the hard, most hardcore 49ers fan in their wettest stream, doesn't really see this team like getting 10 wins. Like, I think everyone knows this team is like in massive need of a complete rebuild on nearly every single level, particularly on the offense. And that's what they've started the process of doing. And, you know, the first step to kind of fixing things is getting your head coach. The next step is getting your quarterback. They're still waiting on that bit, but I'm sure that they'll get around to that next season. So for me, like, personally, I think if you're talking about, like, low expectations, but you still want to put out solid output that doesn't make your entire team, like, the entire fan base want to, like, die, like, say, like a Jeff Fisher would make a bad team do. Uh... Like, I think Brian Hoyer is a decent substitute for a starting quarterback. It's like, I can't believe it's not a starting quarterback kind of thing. He'll go up against a good team and he'll throw, like, 15 interceptions. Put him up against, like, the Rams and he'll probably do enough to win you the game. That's pretty much what you're looking for. You have Pierre Garçon, who's, like, a solid kind of... You're hoping he won't be your number one every, like, like next season. But it's a solid, like, makeshift number one for this season. And obviously they added some exciting players, Solomon Thomas and Ruben Thomas on the defense. And obviously they got rid of the entire Colin Kaepernick sideshow. So I think, like, they can definitively put the past two years, which would be an absolute crap show, behind them. And they're going to say, this is the new team. It only took us two years to sort things. You know, Jed York, it takes him a while. It's it's not his fault. (laughs) Uh, It is his fault, but, you know. So for me personally... I think because expectations are so low, I think that they will outperform them because I think Cal Shanahan is a good offensive mind. I think Brian Hoyer is a good player to come in to do that. And I think the NFC West is kind of poor this year, so there is an opportunity to, to kind of pick off a win or two just through the weakness of the division. Uh, and I think, you know, it won't be exciting. It won't be like blow your head, but I think it will be solid enough that they can pick up a few wins here and there and prevent it from being a complete bust season, like basically a non-Tom Sula season. And then that should be good enough to kind of create the momentum to go into next season and hopefully build on that. And if that defensive line with all that talent really gels together in this new 4-3 system, then the team could do much better than people expect and maybe reach the ED heights of 7-9. and nine. So how, what do you have them going? 
Well, I don't have to go with seven and nine. I have to go with five <laughs> and eleven. But I think you know, I don't think anyone would be happy with that. But I think it would give Shanahan enough rope to kind of go into next season still with you know empowered in the organization. Yeah. So, Harry, they've taken an interesting approach to team building here. Thirty-seven uh, percent of the cap is spent on one fullback, uh, which is an interesting approach. Uh, do you think that this new structure can work? They do have Carlos Hyde, who is good. They do have Pierre Garcon, who is good. They have Hoyer, who, while healthy, has put up a couple of good games. Like, is this just essentially a stockhold until they can get another load of draft picks in and then kind of start it off from there? Well, you know, you said successfully winning a couple of games and I think they're going to win a couple of games yeah. and I emphasis on a couple of games yeah, right there. Yeah, on this. Like, this is... Look, I mean, I said last season, I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, they haven't got Jim Tom Sula anymore. Things can't get any worse. And I'm like, well, okay. They haven't got Chip Kelly anymore. Things can't get any worse. <laughs> like, I do think it will be... Not as bad, but I think it's a long road back for the Niners. Like, I think a huge amount of damage has been done to that organization. Uh, the sheer incompetence of ownership and coaching over the last few seasons. And I think this is going to be a very, very difficult year. And I think they're okay with that. I think this is going to be a year where they're going to be testing out a lot of players in the new system, particularly defensively. There's a lot of young guys in there. It's going to be a lot of people finding their feet, finding their place, finding where they work both on offense and defense, and we have a lot of guys who are basically going to be competing for a roster spot when this team is better in the next few seasons. So from that perspective, um, I don't think this is going to be a season where the team is honestly going to be too concerned with winning games, because if yeah. they are, it's going to be extremely depressing because they're not going to. Like The thing about guys like Brian Hoyer is, Brian Hoyer is a good backup quarterback because he can come in and play solid football. He, he knows the playbook. He's a hard worker. As a starter, he's extremely limited, and that's the problem with guys like that, is they get figured out very, very quickly once yeah. they've started a few games. And it's not really down to the quality of opposition, it's just down to a question of time. Like, Hoyer might come in and look okay, but again, it's a limited guy. They're going figure it, to figure it out. Now, you joke about the fallback, right? But this is what the Niners have to do. Carlos Hyde, Tim Hightower, and Kyle Juszczyk is actually a very, very, very good backfield. Yeah. Now... The O-line, maybe not so good. But this is going to be a team that's going to play, I think, a lot of conservative, ugly football. And I think that's okay. Because I think that for them, they know that this isn't going to be the quarterback they're going to be rolling forward with in future. This isn't going to be the wide receivers they're going to be rolling back, rolling with in future. Now, backfield, yes, maybe. But I think we're going to see a lot of running the ball from them, a lot of pounding. And I think a lot of just ineffectual quarterback play. The defense has talent, but I think there's a lot of betting down to be done. There is a new system. There is a lot of new players. There's a lot of talent there definitely I mean even without the new guys you've got like guys like Navarro Bowman is still there and guys like Aaron Lynch looked looked pretty good last season yeah but it's a question of you know how is this all going to come together and I just don't see that it clicking this year um with all credit to Shanahan I don't think this is I still don't think this is a well-managed team I still have huge questions over the GM and ownership and you just have to wonder that as much as it's not like a situation like the Rams or the Jets where it's totally poisonous because expectations are so low, there's still an awful lot of toxicity surrounding that stadium and surrounding that locker room, and that might take a while in of itself to excise. Look at like a, a sort of a Rex Ryan situation. It takes a while to get rid of that stink. Yeah. So for that Mostly reason... because he walks around with their shoes on. <laughs> I think he's turned up by his own feet. That would be awkward. Um, oh, it's it's a team-wide rule. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's... So, yeah, I, for me, this is going to be another... Not a lot... It's going to be a lost season in terms of results. I have them only winning two games. Um, because when you look at head-to-head, it's very hard to pick them beating anybody. But this is going to be a developmental season. And I think we're going to see a big jump the season after if things 
you know, don't implode, which there is a possibility of them doing. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I've also got them going two and fourteen. I think, uh, like, I think the sky for them is where Ronan has them at five and eleven. And realistically, uh, for the team to develop, they're probably better off taking a two and fourteen season and getting a run at a couple of these quarterbacks coming in. Like, I like Kyle Shanahan a lot. This is not the Falcons' offense. This is n- none of that stuff is going to work here. <laughs> like you're going to have to just swap it up entirely. And like you say, power running, not like two different speedy backs that can do different things. Like this is very much a different team. So I, I'm putting them down to two and fourteen. Next up is the Cardinals. Uh, so they've added Hassan Reddick, uh, Buddha Baker, Antoine Bethea, uh, Jarvis Jones. They've lost Calais Campbell, Tony Jefferson, JJ Swearinger, and uh, Kevin Minter. This is a team that I think we had high expectations going into last year and then just really didn't realise them at all. Uh, They've retooled their defence quite a lot, so seeing how that will actually stack up. uh, There was the question over Carson Palmer. He's old. There was a lot of question marks about whether he was going to retire this year or not. He's decided to come back for one last uh, last run at it. Uh, And then obviously they've got their star player, David Johnson, who pretty much the offence runs through. Can he keep up with that workload? And to an extent, for me, there's a question mark of if they don't start to change this up and build more towards the future, are they going to waste the best years of this guy as a cheap rookie that you can build yourself around? So I'm coming to you on this one first, Harry. Do you think this is a team that's realised the mistakes it made last year and can have a better run at it? Or are they still going to be kind of hamstrung by being an older coach, older quarterback, older receivers, and not being able to move on from that whenever they maybe should have already. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the problems are still there. Um, and for the same, particularly if Carson Palmer gets hurt because Blaine Gabbert is the backup. Oh, <laughs> Gabbert time! Yeah, we won't talk about the potential of Gabbert time in Glendale because that's just depressing. But, you know, like it's a team that has a lot of talent, but things just didn't work for them last season. And this is going to come down to whether or not uh, the coaching can adapt as much as anything else. You're a bit concerned when they're like, okay... More cornerback safety hybrids is the answer <laughs> because we already don't have a ton of those on the roster, uh, so that, that's a little bit worrying. And the loss of Calais Campbell is is huge. That is concerning that they let him walk. I'm not sure what the plan behind that was. Obviously, I mean cap motivation, but in terms of like how do you replace the kind of productivity that he was bringing, I, I don't see them having that. And if Arizona loses that kind of uh, that, that somebody who can bring that level of disruption, because this is this is a defense that is aggressive plays physical and plays hard and that works so much better when you have somebody when you have that pressure on the quarterback when other quarterbacks are in a hurry means if you've got guys who are jamming receivers and hitting them hard they're less likely to be in the right position if the quarterback has has less time it's harder to improvise and harder to, to hit that kind of short route check down that's gone and i don't think they have anybody to replicate that kind of disruption and pressure they can create up front and that is concerning when you look at this uh, backfield, which with the exception of Patrick Peterson, isn't filled with great cover guys. It's filled with physical, dynamic, uh, versatile players, but not necessarily guys who will go step for step down the field with a number one or number two wide receiver. And, and that's concerning because this was a team that when it had its best season was a result of that defense being so good. And like David Johnson is going to win them games. He is going to win them games single-handedly because he is that good. But you can't in, in, in the modern era, rely on that week after week. Larry Fitzgerald is at some point going to have to stop. Yep. And that's the thing. It's like, other, like outside of Larry Fitz, this is still not a wide receiving core that inspires a huge amount of confidence. You have players with talent like John and Jerome Brown, but those, again, those aren't like guys who will catch, you know, eight, nine, ten balls a game. Those are guys who will, who will hit the occasional home run. 
but and so if Fitzgerald uh, has this, this is the season where Fitzgerald loses a step, they're in even bigger trouble. So there's just uh, and there's also also actually the offensive line is aging as well. You got guys like Mike Patty who who were had that peak, and they when Arizona brought them in, they were at the end of that window, and you've seen them over the last season decline physically and decline in how well they're able to play the game. So I'm not sure that. I, th- I think the window is closing, basically, and I think the window might have closed two seasons ago for this team, to be completely honest with you. Unless there's a big, big change that we're not seeing, that there's something that's very, very different in the way they play and very different in their coaching approach, I think this is going to be pretty much a retread of last year of a team that has talent in patches but can't find a consistent way to employ it and gets exploited by teams who are able to play smarter football than them. Yeah. So on that base, I have them going 7-9 and nine because, again, like with the Saints, there is talent enough to win a chunk of games, but there isn't the kind of consistency to win week after week and get that kind of momentum going and strike fear into the hearts of opponents. Now, Fitz, you know these guys well because uh, when they were at the height of their powers, they were challenging your boys, the Seahawks, to, for the division. This was not the case last year at all. Like, Do you think they've retooled enough to either change the deficiencies they had or do you think that they've still got the quality on that roster to be able to compete again like the problem is that there's a discontinuity now between the offense which is really the same offense they had last year and obviously is relying on a couple like a number of players who are on the back end of their career Larry Fitz Carson Palmer are the obvious ones you Paddy is as Harry points out is another example, Jermaine Gresham at tight end. Uh, but the defense, they've basically done a complete rebuild, not by choice necessarily, but by necessity this year. They went to the draft and, and drafted two really exciting players, two very highly evaluated players in Hassan Reddick and Buda Baker. And they're expecting like Reddick to come in and replace Kevin Mitner. Minter, like that's perhaps more plausible because Kevin Minter was only ever really like like the definition of like an inside linebacker that gets a lot of tackles but is never really seen as an elite player. And then they're expecting Buda Baker to come in and replace uh, Tony Jefferson and DJ Swearinger. And of course, you know, it's not really too much of a problem if Honey Badger comes back and is the player and can stay injury-free for that safety slash secondary. But obviously there's a huge question mark over whether that can happen. And Antoine Boite in depth there, they kind of covered him a bit there. But there's just, like that defense, like you're asking that all of these new pieces come in and replace what were really experienced players. Like, you're hoping that Robert Nikondichi can replace Calais Campbell in the second season after what was a complete bust of a first season. And, like, one of the biggest issues with this team and with Bruce Arians is that he hasn't been very good at integrating young players quickly into the team, with a couple of notable exceptions, uh, like Honey Badger. A lot of players, like, on the offensive line in particular, we've seen that it's taken a few years to get Arians. Arians is not someone who is going to give you space. He's not someone who's going to kind of simplify things down for a rookie to make it easier. He is someone who, who is very proud of the fact that he's like, you come into my system, you live up to my expectations, and if you don't, whatever. I'm just like, we're going to play someone else instead of you. But at the point at which they're requiring so many of their rookies to come in, so many of these younger players to come in and make an instant impact to replace these players who they've lost in the two, two safeties, Calais Campbell and Kevin Minter, I'm not sure that's going to happen. So that if the defense isn't elite, I'm not sure that the offense is good enough to make up, make up for it. So ultimately, I think I have to agree with Harry. This is an average team. Like there's some supremely talented players 
like Larry Fitz and certainly like David Johnson and Honey Badger and Patrick Peterson but there's just so many question marks and holes that I don't think it's going to fit over it's going to fit together well enough over the course of the whole season so for me personally I think they're going to be bang average 8-8 eight eight this season yeah like I have them rated slightly below what you guys do I think that this is going to be the season that confirms that their current structure has had the window close on it and that they maybe should have spent the season trying to retool for, for, for a whole new run rather than trying to you know coming back for one more case kind of scenario I am looking forward to seeing the potential development of uh, Ironhead Gallon, the uh, the safety rookie that they have because uh, that is the greatest name I've come across so far uh, myself and Harry have been giggling away at it here in the, in the Dublin studio uh, so I've got them going 5 and 10 David Johnson looking great but basically them realising we need to just blow this up and, and start all over again uh, that said I do not have the NFC West being a particularly strong division at all. I think, what is it, uh, five, eight... Uh, I have a total of 19 wins across the four teams here. So next up, we've got the Rams. Uh, big changes at uh, at the coaching positions for them. They brought in Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. Uh, they've also, on the during the offseason, added uh, Andrew Withworth, uh, John Sullivan, Robert Woods. Uh, they've lost Kenny Britt, Brian Quick, TJ McDonald, Greg Robinson, and Tim Barnes. It's actually, just from watching the first couple of episodes of uh, All or Nothing with the, with the Rams... Brian Quick was actually quite a go-to guy for them in the early parts of the season, like that. Because I, I never thought I would be say, saying, "Oh, Jesus, Brian Quick, that's a big loss." But, uh, but yeah. So I suppose the questions about them over this off-season, uh, obviously Wade Phillips coming in, being the defensive coach, he is very, very good. What can he do with this defense? Because there is a lot of good pieces. Uh, they, they, they just haven't been able to have it convert into a winning season. Uh, can Jared Goff? do anything better this season can he survive behind this new offensive line how will he deal with these new wide receivers uh, how will essentially he adapt to essentially uh, being out of that 7-9 bullshit system that he was in beforehand and uh, finally this can McVay make this an exciting team he is a sought after head coach coming into this offseason he's decided to come to the Rams uh, for some reason we'll see what they can do with that so I'll come to you first on this Harry can this team be I, I, I'm unsure if this team will even be 7-9 and nine bullshit this year. Like, what am I missing? A quarterback? Wide receivers? <laughs> like, any talent on the offense? What's like, this is, this is hilarious, right? Like, like I'm so sorry. This team has a great defense and a really, really poor offense. So what do you do? You bring in the best defensive coach in the league. And then the offense... Like, their number one wide receiver is, like, the number three from last year's Buffalo Bills team. Oh. Like, that is disturbing. Yeah. The best but other than that you know it's it's ludicrous I, I, I don't understand well I, I just Stan Kroenke what is there to understand <laughs> sorry like this team like we know they have an incredibly talented defence like they have added even to that probably bringing guys like Connor Barwin and so on we know Aaron Donald is one of the best players in the league when he's not getting ejected from games for losing his temper yeah. like this team isn't going to score any points this team just is not going to score points. It doesn't matter if you have a great defense if you lose every game 6-0 because of two field goals. Like, that is what this team is right now. There is nobody, nobody who is a reliable pass catcher on this team. There is a quarterback who was given no chance to develop whatsoever and continues to be given no chance to develop whatsoever because he has nobody to pass the ball to. Todd Gurley has gone backwards. Why? Because the quarterback had nobody passed the ball to, so everyone put eight men in the box the whole time, and Todd Gurley got shut down. That situation has probably got worse because, again, like, Kenny Britt, 
played out of his mind last year for this team, and he's gone. Brian Quick, who was like a fairly average guy, but like you said, he, he, he was a guy you could, you, could, you could target with some reliability, is gone. Like, I don't understand who is going... They don't even have any tight ends, for God's sake. Like, this is... This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what they're doing. You, unless they're going to do like that one time that Kansas City team or is it the, uh, and the Bears both of that season where they scored like seven touchdowns on defense. Mm. Oh, we like, scored more than seven touchdowns. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that, 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 that's got to be the plan. Like, because there is no... There, there's nothing here to indicate that the, 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 the offense is going to be able to go anywhere. There is no help being given. We haven't even seen particularly a, a, a huge improvement on the O-line. We haven't really seen any improvement on the O-line, to be honest with you. Uh, like Andrew Whitworth, I guess, maybe. But I don't get the plan. I don't know what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying to get Jared Goff killed. If that's the plan, then yeah, this seems like a good way to go about it. But other than that, absolutely crazy. I have this team going uh, 3-13, and and that's only because I had to give them a win over the Seahawks, because tradition yeah. dictates that that's the case. <laughs> I, I had them well, winning one over yeah. them as well. Although with Jeff Fisher gone, who knows if that's still going to be there. But this is going to be another ugly, ugly, ugly season of football in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much on board with you there. I have, I also have them going at three and thirteen because they get a win over the Seahawks and like two flukies. I think like I tended to favor the home team on a Thursday night because that just makes sense, uh, even though it doesn't make that much sense for this team. I, I don't get it. I think they're going to have an incredible defense. Uh, I get, I get such whiffs of what we talked about about the Vikings off this team of like. This is a great defensive unit. I don't know what how this offense is going to score points. Uh, Fitz like. Do you do you have any idea? Do you, do you really believe in Robert Woods or something? No, like like the reason that I, I actually have them getting less wins than the 49ers, and the reason that I have that uh, is primarily because this is a team that has enough talent that you know, like people are gonna go like, well, we, like we have someone here, we have someone here, we have someone there. Well, with the 49ers, that team that, that team's gonna be a complete churn, and they're gonna be willing, like everyone's gonna have to compete for their spot. Where like the Rams. Like when they sign someone like Randy Woodward and John Sullivan, two very experienced, uh, like two two very experienced offensive linemen, that kind of speaks to me of a team that kind of still thinks in the back of the mind, maybe we have a chance. And for me personally, it's those type of teams which nearly always go off the deep end when things start going wrong. Oh, there's that worry that the two players that their entire offense is supposed to be built around, which is Todd Gurley and Jared Goff, that most most of them are kind of on the slope towards being busts already. Like, Gurley had a good first half season of his first season when he came back and hasn't really done anything since then and got loads of carries last year and did literally nothing. Jared Goff already looks like he could potentially be uh, like an all-time bust at quarterback. So for me personally, a team in this situation has a much higher chance completely off the rails and having a complete disaster season, which is saying something, because last year was a disaster, but that's kind of like, after the disaster, supposed to come the rebirth, and for me, this personal team isn't going to have that. It's going to be a terrible year, they're going to have 4-12, and it's going to be very depressing, Uh, but maybe they'll realise after this season that they do need to go full rebuild. Uh, They have Aaron Donald, that's something to build around, and kind of work from there, but they may have just wasted like multiple first-round picks on a quarterback who can't play, can't throw the ball. That's kind of a problem, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not, not not fun times for them now. Finally, we'll have a look at the Seahawks. Oh, uh, shit's gone wrong, Connor's, Connor's gone back to the Odell Beckham Junior Juice. I'm going to have some more Junior Juice. Oh, <laughs> God, I hate that name already. Just the second I said it. 
So the Seahawks uh, have added uh, Fat Eddie, uh, Luke Jokel on a far too expensive contract. Uh, Any contract. Uh, Adeu, she um, was it uh, Malik McDowell. Uh, they've lost Gary Gillum, Bradley Sowell, uh, Stephen Hauschka and Brock Coyle. It's a veritable who's who of who. Yes. Uh, rather, are, are some of these those people, like those primary school teachers that you hired to try and be offensive linemen at one point? Actually, or, the only name I recognise is the kicker. Yeah, you see, I recognise that. Um, so I suppose, uh, interestingly, the first question is obviously going to be, uh, this O-line, uh, what's up with that? Uh, can it actually defend? Can it run block? Will it actually feature O-linemen? That'll be an interesting question. There's a bit of a shake-up on the defensive defensive core, at least potential talks of them having to break up some of them. There was discussion about potentially trading Sherman and things like that. So is this the tail end of seeing this defensive entity and how will they be able to adapt and replace pieces within that? Fat Eddie has managed to stay below all of his weight target so far but like god knows what he's spending all those bonuses on maybe he's going straight down to like well i don't know what's in and out burger is that one up in seattle i'm not sure do they have popeyes in seattle probably they do now (laughs) (laughs) they've all just they've all just migrated like uh like birds following warm weather uh so this is a team that kind of essentially owns this division, I think, in all of our heads, because uh, it is a dog shit division. Well done, Fitz. Welcome to the life of a Pats fan. Uh, <laughs> how can they go about losing to these three other teams? Well, the Rams will use Rams magic. <laughs> uh, they have the 49ers number at this point, and they'll probably split the series with the Cardinals, because Cardinals, basically, you know, we all saw that 6-6 game last season. It was... Uh, Quite the quite the experience. Even even if you just saw the replay, you're kind of exhausted by it. But yeah, like look, like we all know what the Seahawks are. They brought back. They're bringing back most of the same cast. They lost like two tackles, but your <laughs> loss. I think I think I think tackle is a strong word. <laughs> they kept the worst one. Like George Fant is still there. Well, jo- George Fant, they have him on a rookie contract, and he has a lot of upside. Uh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like they lose Steve Hoshka, they replace him with Blair Walsh, who's obviously most famous for like missing uh, like a absolute sitter against the Seahawks in the playoffs. But you know that's life, I suppose. It's the funny old thing. I think getting Eddie Lacy kind of says they want to return to a more run orientated uh, type of attack. I think they'll certainly put more into that, but I don't think we're going to return to the Marshawn Lynch era kind of over fifty percent runs. I think. Like, Russell Wilson is now too important and too good not to be the focal point of that offense. I think it'll be interesting to see who out of Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, and CJ Procise ends up being the kind of best running back. I imagine all of them will be very disappointing if you draft them in fantasy, but... but yeah, make it once, once, once we get to week five and they bring back in Christine Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Connor, I want you to draft Christine Michael. Oh, he's, he's my 15th rounder if, I, if he's still on the board. Oh, my God. I'm going to take him 14 to piss you off. Mm. And you're throwing to Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham, and a few other players, like uh, role players like uh, like um, Tyler Lockett. Uh, so, like you know, that's the same offense. The D, like the offensive line has been retooled. It's hard for the offensive line to get any worse, so it's kind of a wash there and see if they can kind of improve on what they had. Like you know, they have young players. They brought like a, like Justin Britt was good at center last year. If Eddie has another year to learn, and uh, Fad has another year to learn, and they brought in you know competition in the in the sense of. Uh, of Luke Jokel, that's competition, I suppose. <laughs> and it's a bushy guy. Who From what I gather, uh, Luke Jokel is actually competing against a large plasticine X. Uh, that does, it's very good at being able to follow the directions when they put it on the chalkboard, so it's already ahead of him. So, like on the deep 
defence it's continuity all the way the only real question mark is who's going to play opposite, opposite Richard Sherman like they brought in a whole crop of people and obviously Deshaun Shedd is expected back you know in the first like probably after the first month or so so we'll probably take over if no one has really taken control of that position so for me like you know we know who the Seahawks are they've been to the playoffs uh, for the last uh, four or five seasons they're still that good team the only question mark is if they're a team who will have a really good season where everything falls into them, no one suffers any major injuries, all that kind of stuff, or whether it's another year where someone like Earl Thomas or Russell Wilson picks up an injury, reduces their effectiveness, and they drop that number of games, which means they have to go on the road to Atlanta or Green Bay or something like that, and they probably don't end up having enough to take over that. I think we all know where the Seahawks team is. They're a contender in the AFC, and if things fall for them, they're certainly one of the contenders for the Super Bowl. Um, so for me personally, I have them going 13-3, and uh, being the number two seed, and the only reason I really have to go with the Falcons is because their division is a lot weaker than the Falcons. Uh, but I think the Falcons, like you know, the Falcons are probably a stronger team. But you know, you, you play by the division, not by the uh, not by the strength of your team. Yeah, uh, like I suppose I'll come to you, Harry. This is like we said, potentially the last run out of this defense in its current iteration, and it's a very strong entity. But we've seen that it is fragile. That if if certain pieces fall down, and Pitts mentioned there, injuries do happen. Like. I think every layer of this defence has players that if they lose them will have a significant impact on their ability to compete. And I'm not sure if I buy this rejigged offensive line to be able to keep them in games if their defence starts to starts to falter at all. To be fair now, there are very, very few teams that are capable of effectively absorbing the loss of key defensive pieces. Um, I think the Patriots, and that's it, really. Um, maybe Dallas, because they don't have any key defensive pieces. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think, I think that's a little uncharitable because I mean, any team that has an Earl Thomas or or, or whatever or Richard Sherman, and, and that guy gets hurt, like obviously it's going to be it's going to be a step back. Like that goes out saying, I do agree there's a lack of depth in general, but I think that most teams have a lack of depth on defense. To be completely honest with you, um, particularly on the on the uh, the defensive line and backfield, it's it's sort of inevitable this thing is going to happen. Uh, I do like they signed a rookie called Mike Tyson though. That shows like real ambition to play a sort of aggressive style Excellent. of football. But um, but yeah, there's certainly there is certainly a concern there. Um, but I mean like you know the guys like 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 um, I pick up Bradley McDougal. He was reasonably good in Tampa Bay. You've got guys like Jeremy Lane, Deshaun Shedd, who we know can can, can can do a job there. So I don't think it's necessarily going to be a disaster. And they have as Ronan rightly said kept most of the talent on defense. In terms of the O line, yeah, it's a problem. But Russell Wilson doesn't really need an O line. Like we've seen this. Uh, we saw him playing with one leg last season, and he, as he got more healthy, you could see more and more of that kind of just bullshit he can pull out happening. Ability <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, having in the backfield. And when we talk about like, yeah, they're not going to de-emphasize Russell Wilson. Yeah, fair enough. But you've got like CJ Proslice is a very good pass catching back, um, and you you sp- sprinkle that in with a mixture of Lacey and Rawls, who played both sort of a kind of power game, but different different ways to do it. You have a lot of versatility there. And, of course, Wilson himself can run the ball. So I think we might see this being very much the same Seahawks as we've seen before. And I think, yes, there is a, a fall coming. But I don't think this season is the season where they've lost the talent where that is going to happen. So I, I don't I don't really see them falling back a huge amount, um, particularly if Wilson is able to stay healthy. So there's, a, there's actually an interesting statistic that says that Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the league under pressure, like statistically. But his actual overall QBR ends up being tanked because he's under pressure so much more. And the differential between like the worst case scenario when you're not under pressure and when you're under pressure is absolutely huge. And yeah, no, absolutely, and that's the key thing. I think Seattle are fortunate in that they can spend a, effectively the cost of a six pack of beer a week on that O line and yeah. get away with it. But 
Um, yeah, so like, I think they're going to be okay. I have them... Oh. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, okay, okay yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently 12 is a bigger number than 13. Um, yeah, they're so, your two-seed over the yeah, 13. Yeah, so over the 13 and 3 Falcons. I don't know how I managed that. Uh, right, so, um, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I have Seattle going 12 and 4 and being the number 3 seed. Turns out the Falcons are the number uh, 2 seed. And I think that... Unfortunately, it's in that situation that Ronan said they want to avoid with them going up to... I think in this case it will be... Either to, either Green Bay or... Uh, yeah, yeah, so exactly. Probably, yeah, you're looking to travel to Green Bay or Atlanta where, you know, it probably isn't going to be enough. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm a little bit more pessimistic. I still have them, obviously, winning the division. I have them winning it at 9-7, and seven, uh, which is a good bit, bit less down. I just see problems with this offensive line. The, I see a huge potential for injuries to Wilson, which I think are a huge impact on them even if he's still playing I don't necessarily buy as much the that this offense is just going to work I think it's going to have some problems with it I think some of the defensive pieces are aging a little bit I think they're still going to be good I still think that they'll have a puncher's chance in the playoffs and can always kind of get hot at the right time and everything but I just I looked at their I looked at their schedule look the teams they're going to play and I'd see them playing a lot of good teams that can go toe to toe with them and if it's something as simple as like they have a terrible porous offensive line their running back their, their running back situation is up in the air we're not sure exactly what we're going to see out of that and their quarterback is one big hit away from not being effective like I still think they're going to be good the miracle water the miracle water oh yeah but he doesn't have this he doesn't have this this sweet Odell Beckham juice. Uh, yeah, the new nano bubbles. Yeah, uh, junior juice. It'll cure what ails you. That's what the juice needs, nano bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I have them nine and seven, uh, fourth seed. I think I have them winning at least one playoff game. I can't remember, but like I said, we'll get onto the playoff prediction stuff later on. So that wraps up the uh, NFC West and our previews for the for the NFC as a whole. Uh, so I suppose next week we'll be... Well, not next week, but the next episode we'll be moving on to the AFC and we'll be looking at the North and the East, uh, which should be good fun. We'll be on to your boys, the, the Patriots, another very one-sided, four-sided uh, entity. But yes, that's good. Sonny, any plans with yourselves for the rest of the week or two upcoming? Other uh, than obviously our, our fancy draft. draft. Yeah, I've got to go and get the last uh, set of prizes. I have to try and find Alex, who is apparently in Dublin somewhere. I think we've got uh, my housemate uh, moved out when you were moved in, who was your old housemate. Yep. Uh, it's all very incestuous down here in Dublin. Yeah, I'm currently three episodes into All or Nothing. It's really good, actually. Uh, surprisingly compelling, given it's a fucking dog shit team you're watching. Fun, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, also, it's like it's building continuously to the firing, because they open the opening scene is them showing him telling the players that he's been fired and then it just kind of cuts back to the start of the season. You're like, it's all just building to him being fired. Oh, that's excellent. But yeah, I suppose should we'll wrap on that. Uh, we will have the results of the far too early draft uh, for the next one as well. <laughs> <laughs> we could crack. Um, as I know that's what you're tuning in for to hear how our far too early draft went. Yeah, you everyone loves hearing about other people's fancy teams, right? Oh, that's it. That's, oh, that's, that's, that's gold dust. That's podcast gold dust. Remember we had a no fancy football rule in the first season? I think we should mm. bring it back. Oh yeah, so we don't talk about it. Apart from now, we're just going to go get drunk and uh, whether or not like what's what's the most subtle way we can screw over anyone who doesn't turn up to live draft. Uh, it's all just about that hashtag off-season content now oh, yeah, uh, so as always hit us up on Facebook uh, Twitter Etsy uh, LinkedIn and uh, Pornhub Pornhub oh yeah, yeah we've got our Pornhub so you can uh, you can send your videos uh, yeah as long as people stop illegally you know downloading and uploading it obviously 
obviously, which definitely happens with people that really care about that much. <laughs> definitely true. But yeah, uh, so I suppose that's like, uh, for now. That's goodbye from myself. Goodbye from Harry. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ronan. Bye. Uh, we've been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>